Continuing this morning our study through uh, the Gospel of Mark, we're in the end of Mark chapter 2 and the the beginning of uh, Mark chapter 3. So you can uh, follow along right there in your bulletin starting in verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people uh, came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wineskin into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so, uh, so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, uh, the high priest, and and ate the uh, bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And uh, he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel, the Herodians, against him, how to destroy him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your word, uh, above all that your word reveals to us the person of Jesus, and uh, we long to know him more deeply, to hear his words in our hearts and minds, and um, to experience his presence. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to open this text and and open our lives. Um, And so uh, we look to you, our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were here uh, last week, uh, we had a sermon where we talked about how the church is like a uh, hospital for sick souls. And uh, one of the points we made last week is that part of being a hospital for sick souls is the church has to be vigilant to protect against legalism. That was one of our points, was on legalism. And legalism is the adding of man-made laws to the Bible in an attempt to keep the Christian community extra pure. Uh, Legalism was one of... uh, 
the most important things to Jesus to resist in his day. And, uh, and so today we're going to focus on that one point from last week, and we're going to do a whole sermon focusing on the topic of uh, legalism. It's such an important theme to think about the dynamics of legalism in a church community uh, like ours. And the passage that I just read to you uh, has, tells, has three little scenes or stories that all have a similar shape to them. They begin with Jesus, Jesus and his disciples doing something, whether it's they're not fasting or they're plucking the heads of grain on the Sabbath day or they're healing, or Jesus healing on the Sabbath. So they do something, they're questioned by the religious community, and then Jesus responds with a question back to them. So these three stories have a general kind of shared shape to them. And, uh, and so if we're going to be um, a community free from legalism, we have to give care to study the dynamics of it in passages like this one. And uh, so today I'd like to draw out four insights about legalism from this passage. And, and this is what the four insights are. Is that legalists, uh, legalism is, is constantly questioning people's actions. Legalism doesn't understand context. Legalism loves laws more than people. And legalism is only defeated by the gospel. So four points. Uh, legalism is constantly questioning people's actions. Legalism doesn't understand context. Legalism loves laws more than people. And legalism is only defeated by the gospel. So four insights from this passage in uh, Mark 2 and 3 for us this, this afternoon. So four points, and the first is this. Legalism is constantly questioning people's actions. And um, all three of these stories, the scenes that we just read, uh, begin with a kind of questioning spirit from the religious community. You see there in verse 18 the question. Now, uh, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? It's a question. Questioning. Then again, a question in verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going out in the grain fields, and as they made their uh, way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Again, a question. What's wrong with just a question? Well, if you've ever been in a community where everything you do is, is constantly being questioned, is that lawful? Should you be doing that? Should you be saying that? Should we, you know, what's, is that biblical? It creates a vague sense of guilt that follows you around all the time. And with these questions, there's also a watching. It's like being watched, everything that you're doing. Um, uh, these Pharisees have taken on the job of being the police of the community, and they're always looking out for a lawbreaker. You see there in chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, again, he, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And uh, that word accuse gives us a clue into some of the darkness and harm of, uh, of what legalism is. Because you know what you know, the first question that was asked in the Bible was? Who asked the first question in the Bible? It was a serpent in the garden. Just asking a question. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
Satan is the one who bombards us with accusatory questions. And you know what the name Satan means is the accuser. That's what the name Satan means is the accuser. And so when you, we see that the, the Pharisees wanted to accuse him, the religious questioning, accusing legalism of this passage is not simply annoying religious people. There is a darkness to it. And you even get a little uh, glimpse of how seriously Jesus feels about legalism. In, in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And so what does Jesus do in the face of legalism? Well, he does the opposite of what Adam did uh, when the serpent was questioning. What did, what, did the serp- uh, what did Adam do when the serpent was questioning Eve and questioning God? He was silent. Jesus is not silent. Instead, he silences the accusations with his own question. He says, you're not going to be the one questioning me. I'm going to be the one questioning you. And for those of us who carry around a vague sense of guilt, Jesus knows how tender your consciences are. He stands up like a big brother to defend us. And when it comes to legalism, he wants to set free the tender consciences of his disciples. And so first, legalism is a constant questioning of people, and Jesus silences this questioning with the truth. And the thing about questioning is that it it seems harmless on the surface. You know, I'm just asking a question. Uh, The voice that's constantly badgering, does God really want you not fasting, picking grain on the Sabbath, healing? There is a subtlety to it. Now, if you um, have experienced that vague sense of guilt. You know, one of the challenges with a Pharisee is uh, you might say, well, you know, the Pharisees know their Bibles so well. And so it's very hard to question them because you say, well, they, they're, probably, they're probably right. I mean, I don't know the Bible as well as they do. And so if they think I shouldn't be doing something or I should feel guilty about something, they're probably right. And so that leads to our, um, our second observation from this passage is first, legalism is a constant questioning of people's actions. But second, legalism doesn't understand context. Legalism does not understand context. And uh, the, 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 the people in this passage that are questioning Jesus have, do not consider the historical or biblical context that they are living in. And because of that, they make people feel shame for things they shouldn't feel shame for. And you know how it's, uh, it's common for people to say, oh, you know, there's... Lots of different interpretations of the Bible. One person has one interpretation. Another person has a different interpretation. I mean, who's to say who's right? Why doesn't everyone just pick their own interpretation of the Bible? Well, Jesus says if you don't want legalism in your community, you have to realize that you have to be careful about your interpretation of the Bible. And it has to be interpreted and read in context. And so um, what Jesus' Jesus' answer to these questioning Pharisees is basically you are not reading God's word in context. Your word does not fit with what is happening with the gospel. And so uh, what about context do these Pharisees not understand? Well, two things I want to point out is first, they don't understand the historical context. And you see that when the Pharisees ask about Jesus' uh, disciples fasting. Jesus' answer in verse 19 is, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast? 
while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. What Jesus is basically saying is you don't know what time in the story you're in. We're all in a story. You don't know what chapter it is. Um, because it, when you read in the Old Testament, the Old Testament it said that the God of the Old Testament was like a husband who had married his people. And now Jesus is saying, I am the bridegroom. I am the God of the Old Testament who's come to his people, come to his bride to, to be reunited with her and to, to love her and to be joined with her. This is a wedding day. And instead, you want to be sad and you want to fast. This is not the day of fasting. You don't know the context of what's happening. And you know, uh, uh, this is similar to some people who might ask, you know, why, why are there certain laws in the Old Testament that are commanded in the Old Testament but we don't keep anymore? You know, like in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals, you know, at the temple. And we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Why is there a change from the Old Testament? Well, you know, in the Old Testament, Jesus has come as the true Lamb of God. The animals in the Old Testament were pointing to the, the Lamb of God who will come and take away the sins of the world. And so the true Lamb of God has come and we no longer need those animals anymore. And I think, you know, one way to, one illustration to help understand this um, is uh, my wife, Shannon, and I, when we were first dating, she went to uh, Wazoo, Washington State, in Pullman when we were freshmen. I went to uh, Western Washington University here in Bellingham. And so we were about six hours apart for our first year of dating. And so we sent uh, lots of letters to one another. And this was just before we had email. So we actually got a letter in the mail and I had a shoebox filled with all the letters that she would send to me. And I'd, you know, I'd, up here in Bellingham, I'd take them out and read them and reread them and I had pictures of her and us together and I would look at these pictures. And then at the end of our first year being apart, she transferred schools and moved up here to Bellingham. And so she was here. And so what do you think happened to the box of letters once she was here? You know, I put them away in my closet and I never looked at them. Why? Because the real thing was here. I had these letters because I didn't have the real person. This was the closest thing I had to the person. And so I read them over and over, just like they would do those sacrifices over and over in the Old Testament. But when the real thing came, it's time to put the letters and pictures away and to enjoy the real person. And Jesus is saying, you don't know what time in the story we are. It's time to enjoy the real person because I am here. And so you might say, well, how do you know what things in the Old Testament we hold on to and what things we let go of? You know, there are things like Leviticus tells us to love your neighbor as yourself, and we still do that in the, in the New Testament, in the age of the church. Well, there's a repetition of things that are continued into the New Testament. But when you come to this passage and you say, well, where does the Bible command people to fast? Where in the Old Testament does it command you to fast? They, these these uh, Pharisees are saying, why aren't your disciples fasting? They should be fasting. It's a sin not to fast. There's only one place in the Old Testament where God's people are commanded to fast, and it was one day a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, there are other times to fast. Fasting is a good thing. And Jesus says his disciples will fast, but not, it's not a sin to not fast. They're adding man-made laws to God's word. And not reading the storyline in the historical context of the Bible to understand where are we in this story. And so you might think, wow, this is all so complicated. The Bible, and there's different times in the Bible, and you have to understand history. Of course you have to do that. We have to study God's word and to understand it if we are going to guard ourselves against legalism. So there's the first thing is they don't understand the historical context. They also don't understand the biblical context. 
the biblical references to what Jesus is saying. And in the second episode in the story, when the Pharisees asked Jesus why his disciples are plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath, Jesus gives an interesting answer in verse 25. He says, And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? but also gave it to those who were with him. Now what he's doing is he's reciting a story from 1 Samuel 21 in the Old Testament. When King David is with his men and they're all hungry and they come to the tabernacle and they eat the bread out of the tabernacle that only the priests were supposed to eat. And basically uh, uh, what Jesus is saying is I, David was the king and he had his men and they were hungry and he was allowed to eat that bread. I am David's son. I am the greater king who is finally coming. If David could eat that bread, how much more could Jesus eat the bread with his men, with his disciples on the Sabbath? Because he invented the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so what Jesus doesn't say is you guys are all being too uptight about this. What he does say is that you don't understand the storyline of the Bible. And it's really important to understand that When Jesus challenges religious authorities, he never challenges the Bible itself. He uses the Bible to challenge religious authorities. He uses the Bible to challenge legalism. And so as a church, we have to be careful in our resistance to legalism that we don't start calling biblical commands legalistic. They're not. It's an adding to the Bible of man-made traditions. We have to read the Bible in its historical and biblical context so that we understand what really fits and what God is really doing in in our lives. Now, you might ask the question, well, if the Pharisees knew the Bible so well, why did they miss this? How did they not know that this is where they were in the story? How how did they not know that if they knew the Bible so well? Well, that, that leads to our third point. So first, legalism is constantly questioning people's actions, like the police in the church, kind of constantly policing people. And, And legalism... Uh, doesn't understand context, the historical and biblical context of reading the Bible well. The third thing we see is that legalism cares more about laws than people. Legalism cares more about laws than people. And in the third story of this passage, Jesus enters the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they're watching him to see if he's going to heal someone. And this is so strange to think they wouldn't want someone healed in church on the day of worship. Why would you not want that? I mean, imagine how you would worship that day to see someone with a withered hand healed before you and you'd just be filled with joy and wonder and how much more would you want to worship God? But Jesus knows that these religious people don't really care about other people, the well-being of others. You see it in chapter chapter 3, verse 3, where it says, And he said to the man with the withered hand... Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? He puts a question before them. He says, Do you want someone to be saved, to be rescued, their life to be changed? But they were silent. They had no answer to that. Legalism cares more about laws than people. And it's not that laws and people are against each other. You know, 
legality and relationships go together. You know, in a marriage, a marriage is both legal and it's a relationship. It's personal. And uh, God's relationship with us is like that. He makes a covenant with us that is legal and he loves us and he walks with us and he knows us and he listens to us. But how do we know that relationships and people are more important than laws? Well, it's because when the Holy Spirit empowers a person's life, more and more laws disappear. Laws are things that say no, you know, you can't do that. Laws take away freedom. But the Apostle Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then there's this great line at the end of that verse where it says, against such things there is no law. What does that mean, against such things there is no law? Why would you have a law against love? Why would you have a law against kindness? And that's the point. There is no law against love or gentleness or kindness or faithfulness or self-control. There is no law. Those things you can do as free and as much as you want. There's no wall saying, stop, you can't do it. Chesterton puts it this way. The more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, that's a law, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. The goal of all the laws is for good things to run wild. And now we are all still sinners and selfish. We all have a lot in us that needs to be told no, and so we need laws and rule and order. But the goal of God's laws are freedom, love running wild. And this picture of freedom and relationship in the Holy Spirit is not the goal of legalism that we see in this passage. Gerhardus Voss, who's a, a Dutch theologian, puts it this way. He says, legalism is a peculiar kind of submission to God's law, something that no longer feels the personal divine touch in the rule it submits to. You hear that? It's laws that don't have a personal divine touch to them. And if there's one thing we see in this passage is that Jesus is the personal divine touch. He is that. In Jesus' person, God's commands are never divorced from the generous, jovial, compassionate heart of God himself. And so legalism loves laws more than God himself. And how fiercely uh, does the legalism, the legalism in this passage kind of fight for the laws over people? Well, there's this kind of shocking statement in verse 6 where it says, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The Herodians were those who had allied themselves with King Herod. King Herod was basically a vassal of the Roman Empire. And the Pharisees are, were a political, they were both a religious and a political group who were wanting to revolt against the Roman Empire. They would not have allied themselves politically with the Herodians. And yet, they so fiercely hated the love and grace of Jesus that he was showing, the challenge that he was showing to their traditions, that they would ally themselves with the Herodians to try to destroy him. And so we see how serious the poison of legalism is in the community of faith. It is a constant questioning and accusing that feels like a police state around everything people do. 
It doesn't understand the historical or biblical context of what God is doing in the world. And it cares more about laws than people themselves, not understanding the generous heart of God that underlies all the commands in the Bible. So that leads to our final point, is that legalism is only defeated by the gospel. The only thing that roots out legalism in us is the gospel. And the answer to legalism in each of these stories is, of course, Jesus. You know, the question about fasting, he says, I'm the bridegroom. Come and celebrate with me. Come and feast with me. Come and eat with me. Come and be a part of my kingdom. To the question about plucking uh, grain on the Sabbath, he says, I am the, the son of David, the true king. I've come to bring my kingdom and I'm welcoming you in. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I've set you free from all of these burdens. Enjoy the freedom that I give you. And to the accusations about healing on the Sabbath, he says, I came to give life to heal and to save. Jesus knows that the only antidote to legalism is his own loving person. And that's why we need to hear the gospel over and over again. It's not just something we hear at the beginning of our Christian life, that our sins can be forgiven. It's something that we need to hear week in and week out, day in and day out, of the loving presence of Jesus, the personal divine touch that is in him. And so when we're living under the constant questioning and not understanding the historical context of the Bible, loving laws more than people, what is the antidote? It's Jesus himself. He never says a commandment that he does not himself fulfill for us. He does not lay on us burdens. He takes them off of us. Freedom, joy, and love are only in the gospel, in the love of Jesus, which sets us free. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the good news of this passage. And uh, Jesus, so wise, so inviting, knowing where to challenge, where to be tender. We thank you that he's powerful and, and the Lord of the Sabbath, the giver of rest. We thank you for all of these things. And Lord, we long to know Jesus' personal divine touch in our lives. Um, grant it to us. I pray that you grant it to my brothers and sisters here and to our community. In Jesus' name, amen.